Nev's already mentioned where we're going over the next number of weeks uh, um, on our Wednesday nights. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll mention it again towards the end of what I want to share this morning. Um, and if you were there on Sunday, I think I mentioned it, or if you were there during the week, but I think I mentioned it last Sunday as well, that I wanted to, to give a bit of time, a bit of reflection towards um, the ascension. Um, if, you want to, if you want to go on to, just in case you've never done it before, if you want to go on to our, the church website and uh, find out what we believe, you'll find it in the midst of that. Uh, we believe that on the third day, Jesus rose again in accordance with the scriptures and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that Jesus is ascended. He ascended and he is right now seated at the right hand of God. And the Gospels, in terms of, in terms of uh, quantity of verses, the Gospels don't give a huge amount of, uh, huge amount of attention to the ascension. If you were to go to Mark chapter 16, the, pretty much the last verse of that chapter of Mark's Gospel, it says, after Jesus spoke to them, to the disciples, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. You'll see a couple of verses at the very end of Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke 24, verse 50, he led them out, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. And then maybe what you're more, you may be more familiar with these verses in Acts chapter 1. Um, Acts chapter 1, after his suffering, verse 3, after his suffering, Jesus, he showed himself to these men and he gave them, he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so on Thursday of this week, Thursday the 26th of May is Ascension Day. Ascension Day is 40 days after Easter. 40 days after Easter Sunday is what is known in the church calendar as Ascension Day. Um, so it is this Thursday. I wanted to talk a wee bit about it this morning. Uh, that maybe we'll be a bit better prepared for it when Thursday comes around. Because I think it is fair to say, and if you don't agree with me, like be willing, I maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but I think it is fair to say that um, the ascension, the ascension day, the ascension of Jesus is possibly the most overlooked holy day in the Christian calendar. Um, it is one of those days in the Christian calendar that I think comes and goes unnoticed. I'm willing to say that maybe it's just me. Maybe you are Boston for Thursday, Boston to celebrate Ascension Day. Um, it is, it is still acknowledged in many European countries. Is it? It's acknowledged in Belgium, yeah, yeah, a holiday, yeah. So in in Belgium and much of Europe, it is, um, it is acknowledged. That you get a day off, all of that. And so I've just been wondering. I've just been asking the question as as a. As I've been thinking towards our midweeks, I've been thinking towards Thursday, is it significant for us? Is it significant for me? If, and if it has one of, those, one of those things that have come and gone unnoticed in my attention 
or my understanding, why is that? Why is it not more significant? I think maybe my, when it comes to the, the story of the gospel, I think, for me anyway, that the gospel story is completed upon resurrection. So thank God for resurrection. He rose from the dead. Sin, death, conquered, defeated. And we celebrate, we gather around Easter Sunday and we celebrate it as the, as the pinnacle of the Christian calendar when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's not to take away anything from that, but I think that the gospel story is not completed until we get to the ascension. And I don't think that for those 40 days upon Jesus, um, upon Jesus' resurrection, that this was some victory lap that he was making, some lap of honor that he was, after, his, after he had conquered sin and death, that he'd shamed the principalities and powers of this world. He put them to shame uh, on the cross, confirmed it through his resurrection. This was not just some victory lap of honor that he is making. He is preaching, and that's why I wanted to read from Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He is preaching, he is revealing the kingdom of God. And he takes 40 days, and he goes to those that he has, that have followed him, that have committed their lives to him. And he is now going to teach them, he is going to reveal to them the kingdom of God. This is really important. Really important as Jesus took these 40 days to continue to preach, uh, give continued revelation um, what the dynamic, the dynamic rule and reign of God should look like. And that's why it's great that we have the, the, this, the book of Acts and consequently Paul's letters and Peter's letters and John's letters. Um, we begin to see the dynamic rule and reign of God being lived out in the early church. And we could go to, we could spend time, and we've done this before in Acts chapter two, or Acts chapter four, or Acts chapter five, and we get get an insight into what the dynamic rule and reign of God looked like. It's when all the believers, when everyone was of one heart and one mind. That's what the rule and reign of God looks like. Nobody claimed anything as their own, but shared everything that they had. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's what Jesus was, was revealing to his disciples, what the, the kingdom of God looked like. When nobody, nobody was in need, nobody was in want. Because brothers and sisters were active, they claimed nothing as their own, shared everything they have. I love this line, much grace was upon them all longing for that like that's what the rule and reign of God looks like that's what Jesus was preaching much grace was upon them all no needy persons among them go to Acts 2 4 5 you see you could just see it everywhere I think what the reign of God looks like and that's what the essentially that's what the ascension is the ascension is the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God the exaltation the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God I think there is some things that's important to say this is Jesus leaving the earth it was not 
him escaping. So it's not some form of evacuation. It is exaltation. Jesus is being exalted to the highest place. He's being exalted to the right hand of God. And we don't have time to go into this this morning. But as I've, as I've, as I've spent time trying to get my head around what, what this means, what an understanding of the ascension, ascension means, it has the, it has the ability to change how we see everything. How we see the church, how we see end times, how we see so much. Because if we think ascension is about evacuation, then it becomes about the absence of Christ. If he's evacuated, if he's escaped, then the ascension is his absence, whereas it's the opposite. It's not about the absence of Christ. The ascension is about his, his, his pervading presence everywhere. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute. If we think of um, the ascension as evacuation, we could possibly mistake what our Christian hope is all about. Because we will think that Christian hope is about our evacuation. If Jesus was all about escaping to get out of here, if he was being evacuated to get out of here, we will think that our Christian hope is about our evacuation. Our Christian hope, our blessed Christian hope is resurrection and glorification. And I think it's important that we recognize the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God. It cannot be about his absence because in Matthew, in Matthew 28, just before Jesus leaves his disciples, he tells them words that I think some of you will be familiar with. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then it's this. Cannot be about the absence of Christ, because he has said, I am surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so I want us, I know we've been in Ephesians, and I know I've already had my turn at Ephesians chapter 1, but I'd love us to go back there for a few minutes this morning. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through to 23. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in, this, in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I love how the New Living Translation puts that. 
fills all things everywhere with himself. We're going to get an insight into what the ascension, what it looks like, what it means for Jesus to be seated at the right hand of God. And this is where it becomes really difficult because so much of this is mystery. I'm not qualified for much of this. But if we begin to ask, like, where is the right hand of God? I think sometimes we can begin to think of, it, it's, of its point, that it's some sort of geographical location. I don't think it is. I think when we think about the right hand of God, it's not a point in geography, but it's a position of supreme authority. It's not somewhere where Jesus is. It's not some location far off that we can point to. The right hand of God is a position of supreme authority, and that's where Jesus sits. That's where Jesus is. And Paul tells us, and Paul had this incredible encounter uh, where he began to discover the mystery that had been kept hidden. And he talks about the where he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly realm and so when we think of the heavens and this is again where it's where it's mystery and i don't want to lose us here but it's not like the heavens are again a different place whenever we talk about heaven i don't think we're talking necessarily about a different place we're talking about a different realm and that realm is all around us i think we sing that at times heaven is all around us it's not that it's a different place that we can point to that can be located. We know that, but it's a different realm, and this realm is all around us. Jesus is seated in the place of authority in that realm, in that realm that is all around us. And so the gospel story, as we said, it ends with Jesus receiving all, receiving authority over all the nations. And again, maybe the ascension is something that we overlook. I think possibly part of me has overlooked it because I've thought one day Jesus will come and be Lord over all the nations. That's one day that, will, that, that is to come. One day he will be Lord. But if we, if we look at the ascension, if we see where Jesus is seated now, he is Lord over all right now. Jesus is Lord over all. Where we sit right now, Jesus is Lord over all. This is not one day he will be. Right now, he is Lord of all. He is filling all things everywhere with himself. And we've talked about, we've talked about this, I think, over the last couple of weeks. In, in the Gospels, we see that Jesus is limited to one place at one time. And we get an understanding of why it is better that he goes because he wants to fill all everywhere with himself. And that's why it was better that he, he went because the ascension means that we now have immediate access to the presence of God. The ascension means that Jesus is seated in a place of supreme authority in the heavenly realm which is all around us. And so some of what we're going to talk about over our Wednesday nights is a wee bit of what we're talking about here. We're going to talk about what is known as the fivefold ministry, and Nev's already read out those verses. In verse 9, we, talk, we hear about 
Paul writing, what does it mean that the one who descended, and what does it mean about the one who ascended? And he descended and he he went to the lowest place he could possibly go and he went to the highest place he could possibly go in order to fill it all, in order to fill the whole universe. And it still is still incredible to me, it's still a mystery to me that the heart of God is is to fill all things with himself in participation with us. In order to fill the whole universe, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So that the saints would be equipped, that we would reach unity uh, in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and that we would attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He's chosen to participate with us in order to see the universe, the whole universe filled. He gave the church, he has given the church all that it needs. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the what the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. We're going to talk about the why. And we're going to talk about how, how we see it worked out, how we see it no longer dormant. And uh, it would be great if you could be with us on those Wednesday nights. Um, let me finish with this, and then David's going to come and, uh, and lead us in one final song. We're going to, we're going to take communion together. I have, I have very little routines that I have been, uh, that I have committed to. Uh, there's some things that I, like I, I, that I do and it fades off, but there's one thing that I've never, I've never stopped doing. It's just become such an integral, important part of my day. I cannot get out of bed until I pray something of the prayer of St. Patrick. And the prayer of St. Patrick, I'm sure there's different versions of it, But my prayer is Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ before me and Christ behind me, and Christ to win me and Christ to comfort and restore me, and Christ above me and Christ beneath me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all who love me and Christ in hearts of friend and stranger. And I was, I was reflecting in that prayer that I, that I pray every morning. Maybe there are some mornings that it is just a ritual. It's something that's so part of my routine that, that I do it maybe without even thinking. I was reflecting on this last night. Uh, there are times when I am so grateful for, the, for when I see him before me. When I see when I see his lordship, when I see his presence, when I see something of the heavens before me, when I, when it's tangible, when it's evident, when it's real, I'm so grateful for those moments. But if I'm being honest, I think there's maybe more days where there's times where he is unseen behind me. But there's something, there's something that I tried to take hold of last night that that's, they're the moments actually, maybe even as Neville was alluding to, that, that, that something of faith is exercised. When you can't see it before you, when it's not tangible and manifest before you, even when it's not there, even whenever there seems to be no evidence of his presence, I've, ch- I've prayed it 
Christ behind me, and even when you're unseen, a faith to believe that you're exalted, a faith to know that in all that I don't know and I can't explain, you're exalted. You are right now, you are Lord over all. Every situation, you're Lord over all. And there's times where we need to exercise more faith than that than other days. Because often for us, he's unseen behind us, but he's always there. And so even whenever we don't, aren't aware of it, we, we want to we wanna celebrate the ascension by saying he is exalted. The king is exalted. He is Lord. He is in the place of authority and he is with us. And his, he is filling all things everywhere with himself. And we're possibly going to dare to believe over the next few Wednesdays that he wants to participate with us in order to see it be part of it, the whole place, being filled with the love and the lordship and the life of Jesus. And so it would be great that, we, that as we take communion together, that, that we use this, we use the bread, the tangible bread and the tangible cup to remind us that he is with us, to remind us that he is Lord to remind us that he is risen and exalted, to remind us that he right now is in the place of supreme authority. So Father, I pray that you would meet with us in these moments. Thank you for the gift of the table. Thank you for what it means, what it represents to us. And we take it this morning remembering what you have done for us, what you've achieved for on our behalf and in order to, to, to bring us close to yourself. And so God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would make the presence of Jesus so real among us as we reflect on you, as we meditate upon you, as we draw all of our attention and our affection upon you in these moments in Jesus' name.